<laughs> Welcome back to the Local Legends Podcast. This is uh, episode number 51, and I'm in the Glogner Speakeasy with a few returning guests uh, joining us in a timely fashion, uh, considering the circumstances, um, just to shed a little bit of light on the uh, world, like what's happening on the world stage for the local people that live here. So everybody, welcome back. Uh, Dale King, Chase Millsap, and special guest Brandon Coleman. Cheers, buddy. It's good to be here. Thanks for doing this, y'all. Our pleasure. Um, You know, in light, like I said, of everything that's happening in Ukraine, uh, Chase, you and I had a conversation uh, about getting together for an episode um, and providing our local audience with like a timely perspective from someone who has an understanding of some of the nuance and history that's that's happened here and you both served as well. So uh, active duty experience, understand like the volatility of these situations. Um, and you know, I, I was commenting that like local Facebook and a lot of, uh, a lot of local people are just like disoriented during times like this. Cause we don't really know how to like respond. Don't have a lot of context for the issue of what's happening across the world. And it's just easy to overreact and start pumping out world war three memes and that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> so, um, there are some good ones out there. Yes, there are, there are, but for the sake of taking this thing, uh, seriously and not, uh, panicking and understanding, one, what's happening, uh, but also like how it will ultimately, you know, impact us. Um, that is the goal of this pod. So, just start by uh, reintroducing yourself, guys, and uh, giving us a little bit of insight about your experience in the in the military and abroad. Sir, please. Oh wow, you're gonna let now, me go first. Age before beauty. Wow, uh, I am younger than you, <laughs> although I may not look it. But um, no, thanks for having me back, um, Connor. It's it's. It would take an entire podcast to explain, but um, had a chance to spend a little under 15 years in the military, starting at the Naval Academy, learning history, going into the Marines, three tours in Iraq, um, and then going into the Green Berets. Yes, I went from the Marines, from the Navy to the Marines to the Army. It's a long story. I'll tell you about it, you know, and, and why, but but really came down to the fact of I wanted to serve my country, and then afterwards um, really got into politics mm. and thought I wanted to be in politics until I realized, like, how nasty of a game that is um but to your point um you know it's hard to understand at the local level some of the things that may be happening on the news and all that lbj said this 50 years ago that all politics is local doesn't matter i mean this is a guy that was going on vietnam so Mm. everything is local right so if you look at it through that prism there's there's ways to do it you know to look at it and understand it um and so that's where i focus and so i've been down the policy route um you know, in that regard, have, have taken on a couple of different policy issues, whether it's immigration, national security, um, and have had a chance to, to even do some negotiations um, from the Pentagon all the way up to the White House, um, which, you know, like we talked about, um, I've never been to Ukraine. I have never been to Russia. I have never, you know, been to that part of the world. But what I do know is that what we're dealing with is something we haven't seen in a long time. And mm. so from a history perspective, that got me really interested in sitting down and talking and, and explaining to people like what is going on, just to have a sense of it. So sure. that's why I'm here. That's why I, I want to talk. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I really just want to be able to hang out with my, my buddy Dale. <laughs> so, Well, this is where all the significant conversations happen, man. It's like in they context do. like this. So. Yeah. Dale, how about yourself? Give welcome, us a little bit of an intro. Welcome man. to the Speakeasy uh, Geopolitical Discussions. <laughs> We're going to solve the world's problems. So I'm a proud graduate, 1999, Portsmouth High School, number one. Let's get that out of the, out of the gate. Uh, I went to school to Capitol and then uh, became a commission officer and intelligence, Army intelligence officer 
and then spent four years as a military intelligence officer. Uh, fortunately enough, I spent uh, all my career with 10th Special Forces Group as a intel officer. Mm. So my job was basically to support guys like Chase um, on the battlefield as far as the intel is concerned. From there, <clears throat> I worked for the Department of Energy, in this case uh, at the A plant. Mm. Um, up, what up does A stand for? Atomic. Oh, <laughs> smart. That's why you're Intel. <laughs> the AT so, baby. That's what we call them. Yeah. Uh, but I became. I eventually became a, a federal employee, and then so all my bosses were out of Oak Ridge down in Tennessee, and so essentially we were charged with protecting national nuclear energy assets to ensure bad guys didn't get access to our technology. Mm, which is like a real concern now. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yes, 100%. So um, I did that from 07 to around 15. Mm. So um, I, I will kind of gloss that over when I talk about my history as far as working for the government. Uh, but a lot of that involved joint operations between the FBI, a lot of counterintelligence, a lot of security analysis to ensure that uh, bad guys didn't get access to um, how to make how to make bombs, mm. essentially, and or securing our competitive advantage when it comes to nuclear energy production. Mm -hmm. So, but don't don't worry. I gave all that shit up to uh, <laughs> in 2015 to go chase kettlebells and uh, make deodorant. So yes, we're sir. good. <laughs> and you never look back. I know. <laughs> Never look back until today. <laughs> we're talking about what we're I mean, it sounded good. Chasing the American dream. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Cheers, it? mate. Right. Uh, cheers, that, mate. Uh, yeah, let's get into just like the whys. That's probably a good place to start. You know, from the little I understand, um, there is like some significant history behind Putin's actions here. And so uh, can you walk us through what led um, to his emboldenment to make like this aggressive decision and also just uh, like the context of the situation? Why is this happening seemingly out of nowhere? You know? Yeah, it's, it's, it is the, it's the biggest question to ask is, is why. And, you know, I was born in 1983. Um, I got to like, kind of see the cold war i was six when the cold war ended or started to end uh in 1989 it eventually happened in 91 um but it was an era that was fascinating to me and so like i think everybody that's listening needs to kind of let's go back to the 80s for a second right and as much as i want to go back to the 80s i mean there are there are a few things that are the same right you've you know pbr still cold <laughs> is the best drink ever right you know that's 1983 to now it's the same um, but where we're at today, it, it, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have computers, you didn't have all those things. So if we go back to 1983, this is the same year that Vladimir Putin was a KGB officer. So he's a Russian intelligence officer. He's the Russian Dale at some point. <laughs> wow. I'm I've been kidding. called a lot of few things. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't know if that's really like just one kidding. of the top or the bottom. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So... He's an intelligence officer. He's in Germany. He's been stationed there. He's worked his way up through the Soviet system. This is a big deal for him. He is on the verge of being promoted as a very young, he's, I think he's in his mid-20s at this point. Like He's on the fast track, mm -hmm. and he is doing a job that nobody else wants to do. He's a counterintelligence officer. Mm. So when, it's, not, it's one thing to be a spy. 
it's another thing to be a spy that finds spies Mm -hmm. because it's a very different set of tactics. I want you to talk about that. You know that better than I do. But he had to be ruthless in order to do his job, and he's very young at doing that. Right. So he's learning at the end of the Cold War how to do this, and he's very successful. There's actually an article that came out, I think, in the New York Times in 1984 where he helped uncover one of the American Special Forces teams that was in Germany at the time, behind the lines, he helped find them. So we're, we're now talking about a guy 30 years later, 40 years later now, who spent his first years fighting Americans in Europe and really looking at it and looking at it from a, a thing of he wanted to come out and he wanted to get them out mm. of this. He wanted to get the, the threat away, and he was willing to use any tactics that he had to start it. So... That's where the story starts. I don't know if you want to add anything on like the tactics of it. Yeah, I would just say if we can if you can try to divorce your emotions from the topic right now, it will help you better understand your enemy. Mm. Yep. So, and, and you know, it's cuz we've been raised on Rocky 4 uh, you know, Rocky versus Drago. We clearly know who's good and who's bad. But if you really want to impact change and understand, you need to take that away and then try to put yourself in the shoes of your enemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, this is not pro-Putin. This is just this is not pro-Saddam. This is not pro-Qaddafi. This is just trying to get you to understand where they are coming from so you can better counter their actions. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't want to play... We're trying to play chess, not checkers here. So everything Chase said is is exactly on. So understand their psychological motivations to what they're trying to accomplish. And to do that, just you can't, it's not black or white, it's gray. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's where the story starts to change a little bit. So let's fast forward to around 1989, right? That's when we first started to see the Berlin Wall comes down. We start to see that things are not okay in the Soviet Union. Things, mm. the, the system that they had built, you know, the Iron Curtain, the Cold War, those were coming apart. And at the end of the day, it came down to economics. They couldn't sustain that system. So first you see Berlin, and then you start to see Ukraine, and then you get back to Russia. And you got to think about it, you know, just like Dale said, if you put, your, put yourself in their shoes for a second, you are on the fast track to being one of the best leaders that they have. You've played the system. You've done everything. Right. You've probably made sacrifices along the way, personal, professional, all of those things. Um, and you're watching everything crumble around you. Everything is disappearing. Everything you fought for is disappearing. Everything you knew is disappearing. And your the- entire existence as a man has been built upon false yeah. pretenses. Yeah. <laughs> And you've That's got, not easy to deal with. Yeah. No. And, and I would fully imagine that there was some anger associated with that. And this is where it gets really interesting is that Vladimir Putin was, I think he was a major at this point and had a wife and had children. And so he went from being you know, somebody that was pretty upper middle class mm-hmm. to now having to feed his family in breadlines. Mm-hmm. And he looks back on that, and, and you know, I'm, this is my assessment of it, but he's looking back on it and saying, the West was the one that did this to us. Right. I now have to struggle to feed my kids because of what happened here. Mm-hmm. That's 1989. That's where the seed gets planted that starts to build up over, over the next few generations. 
But we don't think about it like that. We think Cold War's over. This is pretty good. We're going to the 90s. I mean, we all saw Red Dawn, so, like, we know how that ends. Like, this is things – are, things are going to work out. Like, it's all good. But that seed and that idea is what started where we're at today. I don't know you want to add that. No, I th- uh, that's perfectly it. So we don't want to make the – we're trying to get you to understand where our enemy is coming from. Mm-hmm. That person is still our enemy. Yeah. So let's not let's – not, get that lost in the in the conversation here but <clears throat> you know in a way it comes down to extreme ownership mm. you know mm-hmm. shout out to my boy uh my boy jocko, hey, jocko. so it couldn't be that the way i was raised was wrong right the system i believed in from a young boy was wrong it has to be the West. Mm. It has to be America. It has to be liberalism. It has to be idealism. That is what brought this thing crashing down. Right, and like just Putin as a character is uh, is probably operating in, or was his whole life operating in a system that was significantly corrupt, right? So he's like a fish that doesn't know he's right. in water kind of and, thing. And, and yeah. like, you know, to, uh, you know, because Chase is the heartthrob from the Hollywood Hills, right? <laughs> So now to the West side hills to, uh, to put this in like local, if, if you're born and raised on the West side and you are just getting destroyed on the football field by Willersburg or Ironton or Portsmouth, let's say, he knows you don't have a mic right now. (laughs) Well, Clay's not even in the game at this point. So, um, you build your entire existence is fueled by animosity to that, other entity right it couldn't be the fact that maybe you don't have the right system talent or people in place Mm. it has to be an outside actor that influences that right so and that's and and that's exactly right so you have to find an enemy right we all all figure that out and so there's there's actually a great podcast i'll make sure you have the link for it Mm -hmm. that describes putin's he goes from being a kgb officer the soviet union collapses there's a there's a half a minute of a civil war and then it goes into boris yeltsin and the russian federation very awkward weird time for for anybody that was a like hardcore soviet communist guy like like putin was um so he had to figure out his new identity and so he starts getting into politics he gets into the local it's at this point it's leningrad so it's st petersburg he gets into local politics Right? He doesn't start on top. He doesn't start because he's got friends in, in the big system. He starts literally at the local level. Mm. And he starts getting into this, and he watches in the rooms. There's a lot of different reports that say he would go to these parties. He would go to a fun- functions, events, public meetings, and he would sit in the corner and watch people. Mm. That was how he spent his first couple of years. And he would learn what is, how do people respond, how do these do, do different things, and he would figure out what the gaps were. And this is where it started to get in the late 90s, early 2000s, is you've got a system that's now changing from communist, where the state dictates your economy, how everything's going, to now there's a very few elite oligarchs, that's why they say Russian oligarchs, that control the businesses, right? It's it's actually not too dissimilar to something we've, we've had here in, in the U.S. of like, you know, the Rockefellers and the J.P. Morgans, like they control different businesses. That's why we had trusts that came out. They, they are controlling different things that are happening in there. And Putin realizes that if I can get in with these guys, I've got an opportunity to springboard into power. 
Mm. And so he, there was actually, I think, I can't remember if it's 97, 98 or 99. So don't quote me on that. But the, the mayor that he was working for was under threat of, of going to jail for something corrupt that he'd done because it's Russia. And he ended up being the one to organize a flight out and he did an evacuation. He got this guy out. He got to play CIA KGB agent again and it put him on the map. And now all these oligarchs realized this guy not only knows how to do politics, but he can also, if everything goes bad and we get to the point where nothing else works, he'll get us out. Mm. And that was what got Vladimir Putin to be on the, the actual stage and start being not only the, the Russian president, but the prime minister and to where he's at today. Yeah, and what year was he like officially empowered to where he is now? Do you know? 2000? After Yeltsin, right? Yeah, after yeah. Yeltsin. Yeah. Well, and then he's he's transitioned titles, mm. prime minister, president. But, yep. You know, I think the latest one was uh, when it was. I think it was Crimea that there was a hundred and twenty four percent voter turnout. Yep. Which you know, do the math on that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you effectively realize like we have Republicans and Democrats. Yeah. Right. And people go in and out of that. Right. And you you know you have the the candidate you know in some time and then a couple of years later it'll be somebody else different. That's not the same thing in Russia. You have one, you have you have different parties, but in the Putin's party, it's just Putin's party, mm. right? It's it, you know he's either in or he's out, and that's it. And so that's what they've grown up off, off the last twenty years. And I think it's important to note, right? And and you know we talked about it last time I was on. Is nine eleven was a day that changed everything for all of us, right? One of the first people to call George Bush, George W. Bush, was was Vladimir Putin, to say we stand with you. And, you know, looking back on it, I refuse to believe that that was just out of the goodness of his heart. Yeah. Right? That happened because there was an advantage there. He knew that he could, he could build a strategic advantage with us, even if it was just making us believe that we were friends. Mm. He knew, and he took that opportunity. So this goes back 20, 30 years to where we're at now. But the thing we got to look at in the context of this is how do we assess the situation now knowing where he's been how do we look at this problem now so we can decide what we want to do forward right right and uh now you know obviously there's a significant gap between that period of time even 9 11 and then you know like a land air and sea and cyber attack against ukraine you know what i mean so what do you make of that uh like um how much foresight do you think went into this kind of decision and what were the factors specifically with new Ukraine and you know how does NATO play into this like with yeah. a, with the US's response what's your thoughts I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. yeah so I think it's important that everybody understands uh, who and what NATO is like, yeah you know North Atlantic Treaty Organization so uh, post World War II we all know who uh, we are back-to-back World War II World War champs uh, America is so we got solid so to counter the the russian threat which people i i don't think people really understand that russia was our ally mm. in yeah. in world war ii so we had a very powerful ally in russia we won and then we knew like i mean there's all kinds of books about even general Patton understanding like russia the soviet union was going to be our next threat so we should do everything we could 1945 to ensure their uh they don't have as much strength as possible right so we're trying to cover 70 years of history here but anyways 
NATO happened, uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's essentially uh, a lot of Western, Eastern European countries in America bounded together to ensure, to check the Russian threat. Mm. Um, which at the time was the Soviet Union threat, right? So Soviet Union was not just Russia, it was comprised of you know, several Eastern European countries. But then after, I mean, I guess we would, it wouldn't be World War Three, but back-to-back-to-back uh, back to back champs. Uh, Cold War champs? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> World War One, World War Two, Cold War champs? Yeah. Well, we'll throw that in there, right? <coughs> yeah. So <clears throat> left, it isolated Russia off to there. But it also isolated Ukraine. So if you, if you, if you pull up the map, Ukraine is a geographic buffer between NATO countries and Russia. Yeah. Now, and, and this is where I go back to my earlier point is understand it from your enemy's point of view, right? So if we play this into our own uh, geographical context, we wouldn't feel too comfortable if China was just south of Texas. Mm. Okay. Let's just put that out there, right? So, we, or maybe the Russians put nuclear weapons in Cuba. We wouldn't feel so good about that. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, you know, i.e. 19, was it 68? 62. 60, sorry, yeah, yeah, 62, yeah. So Cuban Missile Crisis. Right. So we want as much separation, as much yeah. buffer as possible. Mm-hmm. And what Russia, what Putin will say is there's, you know, cultural, historical ties with Ukraine to their country as well, which is somewhat true. Um, but the main thing is they'd rather have missiles, and I don't know the actual distance, but let's just say they'd rather have missiles 500 miles away versus five miles. So would I. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And and you can't really, like, that's what you're trying to understand. Yeah. So I don't want you putting missiles in my backyard so if you're not willing, and Ukraine's wanting to join the NATO, possibly, there's a lot of discussions back and forth. And so you have Poland, you have Germany, you have Belarus, you have Hungary, Czechoslovakia, or Czech Republic, Slovakia. Yep. They're all a part of NATO. And Russia's like, we don't like these guys going to our backyard. Right. So that's kind of where the the NATO alliance, in, which of course America is a part of NATO as well. So, and this is where you start to dissect the problem, right? And this is, I think, what you know Dale and I have had a lot of instruction on dissecting the problem, so you can make as a decision that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Based upon all the different variables. And he's one hundred percent right. The first thing is to take emotion out of it. So let's take emotion out of it for a second. Let's not pretend that like Red Dawn's one of my favorite movies and like <laughs> I'm like just dying to get in the hills of Colorado and go after the Russians. Like all that emotion aside. When you get into a an issue of deciding, you know, is violence the action here? Is military force the action? Is going to war the right decision, right? That's mm-hmm. that's the real question here. You have to start with the first question. And you have to ask this question again and again and again and again because if you don't, you're going to make a bad decision. Mm. And that question starts with, am I dealing with somebody that's rational 
or irrational because that's going to determine how if I do something to them, how they're going to respond. Right. Rational person. I think everybody at this table is rational. If mm. <laughs> <laughs> rational ish ish, I'll deal. I'll I'll do ish. Yes. Like if you go without food for a couple of days, you're going to be hungry. If you can, if you have you know something that's going to make you feel uncomfortable, you're going to respond to it. If you're irrational, like you're starting to get into the verge of I don't respond to things the way other people do. And that's where it starts to get really different. And this is actually what they, they teach you in, in negotiation training is like when you're dealing with somebody that's irrational, that's, that's crazy, you, your options are very limited, right? It's, it's make them go away is effectively the only thing you can do. But you don't know that, right? It's not like, it's not like we can call Vladimir Putin's psychiatrist and be like, hey, man, we really need to know what's going on with him, right? You have to make these decisions in a vacuum. And so... If we just look at it in that context, right? As Dale said, he's got what he thinks is the enemy on his back door. Now it's about finding a reason to go out, right? He's already gotten in his mind that this is going to happen. But then it comes down to the reason. And this is where the local side of it starts. If you just, and if you have to think about things, right? You have a lot of different reasons. You have an economic reason. There's a money reason. There's a military reason. It's because I got a lot of I got a lot of guns. I might as well use them. And then there's politics. I mean, he still has to get elected. Right. Even if he gets 124 percent, he still has to go through the politics side of it. You got to balance all three of those. Where we're at now actually started somewhere around 2005, 2007, and it starts over natural gas because it gets cold in the winter, mm-hmm. and we heat our homes with it, and we cook with it. And we do all of the things that we need with natural gas, right? That's where it gets to be a problem is if you start looking at Europe, which is still a cold place, and Russia, which is supplying all, yeah, supplying all the natural gas, Russia actually provides about a quarter of the gas to Europe. Mm. And it goes right through Ukraine. And Ukraine wasn't paying the bill. So now you're looking at it and saying they're giving their money, they're giving their gas, it's going to Europe, and Ukrainians a stopgap. They're a middleman in between this. And so they're trying to make the decision of how do I get around that? Now you have things like the Middle East, you have things like going around it, and I'm not excusing anything that the Russians have done, but they're looking at this on the map and saying I make money in Europe by selling something at my house and then the guy in between is not paying the bill. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah. And they go through this for a couple of different years. And this is where it starts to get really interesting. And now we're ramping up to war. Mm. Right. And, and here's, I think, the biggest thing to, to understand. And I want, you know, when Dale gets back, let's go through this. But I, the only analogy that I can think of, and, I've, and I, I spent a lot of time last night trying to think of, like, when in history has this come up? And they teach you very early... I can't remember, you know, if it was day one or day two, but my history professor at the academy was like, you have 10,000 years worth of human history recorded. There's no reason that you should make the same mistake. Mm -hmm. But he's also said that you're not going to face the same problems that they did. And so what history gives us is a playbook. It doesn't give us the answers. It gives us a playbook. It gives us something that we can maybe use in the future. 
that's what we're dealing with right now is we've we've seen it from Vladimir Putin's side of it. The only thing I can think of that he's looking at is what Japan did in December of 1941. Japan wasn't looking at this as saying, you know, we're going to go across the Pacific and we're going to destroy the, you know, the entire American fleet. They wanted to. They didn't think they could win militarily. They thought we would quit mm. and that they would get what they wanted because we weren't going to fight back. I think Vladimir Putin's thinking the exact same thing is that they don't have the stomach to fight this as long as I do. Yeah. And that is why we're at where we're at now. Hmm. Uh, well, that was a very strong closing argument there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's important to understand, too, it's like those who have been at war are the ones who don't want to go to war the most. Right. And... Um, you know, my personal opinion is, hey, man, this ain't our fight. Yeah. This ain't our fight, and uh, if if there's a certain point to where it even becomes, you know, a, a, a an issue where elected officials are like, we should send our, our men and women to Ukraine, I think you're going to find strong opposition to that mm. well what do you just uh in that context then which obviously the president hasn't said we're going to war or anything but like uh for those who didn't tune into the president addressing the matter i mean summarize for us how the how the president responded what do you make of those con comments you know strong sanctions and kind of things and how how that might play out obviously it's speculation but uh give us your thoughts yeah so We've kind of answered the why that we got here. So now it's the how, right? Like, how do we deal with this problem? Um, but there's a big distinction between the Cold War where we're at now. Mm. We all have cell phones. Yeah. Like, you, we can do everything that we need in our lives. We can, we can bank. We can buy groceries. We can text each other. We can do everything on our cell phone. That didn't exist when the old Cold War was around. Mm -hmm. And so that requires a very different set of uh, responses. I mean, I think the first thing is, you know, when you look at sanctions, right, like what, you're, what we're basically saying is we're going to make it harder for you to do business. We're going to make it harder for you to access your bank account. We're going to make it frustrating for you to go buy something with your credit card. Like life's going to get a little bit harder for you. But don't you mean specifically for like the Russian people, right? That is that. That's like, what they said right now. Oh, right? Russian government. In the mm. Russian government, yeah. and you can do it as an individual level, which you can do it as a government. We're basically going to make the Russian people suffer over this. Mm. And you know, the theory is, and that's when I talk about that third lever of power, right? Is that the politics? You know, why fight your enemy directly when the when the people are just going to vote him out of office, mm. right? That's there's a there's a possibility. I don't think it's likely. But it's possible that the Russian people, we've seen it, they're, they're, they're protesting a little bit. Um, but that doesn't solve what's happening in the immediate, right? So, um, I mean, this is what I spent the last half of my career doing is we always talk about, we're always at war. That's never not a thing. So you go and you train different forces. You go out and, and you give them weapons training and you teach them how to do tactics and ambushes, all the things. We, I mean, we had special forces in Ukraine up until January of this year. It wasn't like we didn't know this was coming. We were training them. And the idea is, let's train you now. Let's train the Wolverines so that we don't have to come in with Americans. 
that's the question that's happening right now. Is that, so as we're seeing Russians come in, it's really about how long the Ukrainians can hold out. How long can they fight? How long can they hold up the army until those sanctions take place? And that's a really hard question to say because we don't know looking. I mean, I don't believe anything that's coming out of my phone right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe it of, of what I'm hearing from people that are on the ground telling me what they see. Right. I can't believe in my phone. And this is where I think Vladimir Putin is actually pretty smart. And I say smart because I would underestimate my enemy if I didn't say he was smart. He kept the cameras on. This is a guy that, that, like I told you, hunted spies in the Cold War, but kept the cameras on in 2022. It's because he knows that that the Internet and Instagram and TikTok and social media are a weapon that he can use for whatever he wants to do it. And as long as I can make people believe that I'm winning, even if I'm not, it doesn't matter. But that, you know, that's a double-edged sword as well. 100%. Because um, it... You know, I think there's a, a couple of takeaways that we should get into as far as like, okay, what does this mean for us? You know, what is what is a the guy who owns an insurance agency in South Shore, Kentucky? What yeah. what do I need to take away from this? Right? Mm-hmm. Not we'll get into that. Um, but you know, when Chase and I were deployed, we didn't have to. <laughs> thank God, <laughs> we didn't have to worry about this. Right. At Matt, I think I I bought a digital camera, right? I had a satellite phone. That was <laughs> That's awesome. That didn't work. Well, my, my point is, like, there was no direct feed. Okay. Even with a digital camera, it just saved it to your phone. Yeah. Okay. So, be prepared. This is the first invasion war that's happened a since World War II. Probably more importantly, that you can watch from your phone. Right. Okay. Now, my personal Instagram feed is pretty much just a highlight reel of all the cool shit that happens in my life. Mm. It's not the the day to day, the mundane, and it's definitely not the bad stuff that happens to me. So. When you're using your phone as your primary source of information, understand where that source of information is coming from. And no matter what, even if it's an organization that's not trying to be biased, first reporting is war in war. Always wrong. Always wrong. Mm. Always wrong. And it's not from a biased disinformation standpoint. It's just like it's chaotic. Like the the mere fact that we're seeing shit happening in a twenty four hour time cycle on our phone is insane. Okay, and even if it's true information, you have to analyze it. You have to understand. You have to vet it, and you have to source that information where it's coming from. All right. So, you know, uh, my parents, God bless them, I love them to death. It's Fox News. 24 hours a day on like volume 90 when I, when I walk into the house. So, okay, well let's, let's try to, let's try to balance both sides of the Mm. equation here. So just be prepared. The, just understand the filter that you're seeing stuff through your phone. Just assume it's disinformation. 
especially if like you're trying to make a snap judgment within within a day yeah. mm. because it's going to be either pro russian disinformation or pro ukrainian disinformation and somewhere in the middle it's like we've already uh found out there's uh they're using call of duty replays really yeah. and, and and passing that off as actual war footage wow and which is actually genius brilliant because it um, looks intense because this is the first near-peer war that's happened yeah. over your phone mm. and, and dale hits on something that you know look we're the old guys at this point right we're we're you know i feel like we're a little bit you know we're calling calling the plays as they happen and seeing what happens with it but I knew, you know, 15 years ago, you weren't going to give me information that was just based on something you saw on the internet. It was going to be processed and thought about and pieced together and actually thought and, and analyzed before it ever got to me because we're going to go put people's lives in danger to do it, right? That's not the same cycle that's what's happening now, right? Because information is now a weapon more than it's ever been. And I think this is where there's an important distinction here, and and you know I'll, I'll call it back because I was personally involved in this. Is that the the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which we were gonna do at some point anyway, it wasn't about the fact that we were stayed or didn't stay. It's about how we withdraw mm. that made us look very weak, very disorganized, very chaotic, and at the end of the day, it made us look like we just didn't keep up our word. Mm. And if I'm looking at that in Russia, given the 30 years of, of backstory, this looks like a really interesting time to start invading because I don't think the U.S. and the Americans are tough enough. And this is where it's going to get really interesting is to say, you know, as we start thinking about well, what, what can we do here at home, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to not being afraid. Mm-hmm. And not letting somebody else's decisions 6,000, 10,000 miles away tell me that I'm going to have to be afraid in my own hometowns here in Ohio. I'm not afraid. I'm not going to lose one ounce of sleep over, over this tonight. I know that it's bad, and I really hope that the Ukrainians fight as hard as they can. But I'm not afraid of Vladimir Putin. Mm. Now, maybe gas prices are going to go up. Maybe yeah, food they, prices. They, are yeah, go. they they're going. To <laughs> this is where it gets in the mechanics of <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. how do you explain? Mm-hmm. And you you're better than that than I am. If like, if I know a problem's coming at me, I can figure out a solution. But if I start from a position of fear, then what's the point? Yeah. Right? Well, and like you're saying, uh, they're definitely like gas prices going up. Uh, speculation on like food prices, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Just the world market changing, like. That's, I think, the stuff that starts to get in people's heads and places that, like, where we're at, you know? And you should go through some of the, you know, Dale does this better than I do of analyzing what the specific problems are. But I'll come back to, to the key question. Is the person on the other end of that problem rational or irrational? Mm. And if they're rational, then we can, we, there's a thousand ways we can deal with that. If they're irrational, we're limited, right? So... I can't control what other people do, but I can control what I do. And the first thing I'm going to look at this problem is say, I'm not afraid. Mm. Am I going to have to adapt? Am I going to have to figure out a different way of doing things? Am I probably going to grow, have to go grow a garden this year? Yeah. But I was going to do that anyway. <laughs> now it's just going to be a little bit bigger, mm. right? Like there's ways to get around this. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think the, the first thing we should understand is, uh, I mean, fuck Putin. Okay, so Second. Let, let's, uh, let's, let, let's be clear on that. Um, however, I'm not, my personal opinion is we should not risk any U.S. blood or treasure into, into figuring that war out. Mm. Because there's, there's no impactful <clears throat> interest that we will gain from it. Okay, and uh, we should have learned this lesson in Vietnam. We didn't. We should. We've been at war for the last twenty years, and this is a very hard pill for Chase and I to swallow. Is like, what do we have to gain from it? Mm. Okay. Now, listen. I am the I am the most pro America, progressive, pro whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, <clears throat> yeah, I've got kids now. When my son turns 18 in uh, 13, 14 years from now, I don't want him or her, my daughter, which is a savage in herself, uh, <clears throat> to fight wars that should not exist. Yeah. yeah and, th- and that's the end of the day. Like, this is not a war that the U.S. should be involved in. Now, you, the counter argument is going to be, okay, well... It's Ukraine first. Where does he stop from there? Yeah. So you're gonna have to you're gonna have sure. to deal with that for for a point. Uh, uh, Crystal and Hagar on. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever listened to like Breaking Points, but they were talking about how if you're gonna start like jumping to massive allegations or like starting to uh, compare Hitler to or uh, Putin to Hitler, like those kind of things, you have to understand the implications of saying yeah. things like that. You don't. Yeah. Know and, I mean, and, and I true. would just say yeah. like right now. Uh, every as I pour myself another beer, every every U.S. every global leader, raise your hand if you agree with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Crickets. Yeah, and there's a flip side of that coin too. I mean, President Zelensky last night, from the reporting that I heard, called 27 world leaders and asked for help, and not a single one responded. Mm. And you have to look at that to say he is fighting this fact alone. That's sad. That's that's hard pill to swallow. But it's their pill to swallow. And it comes down to the Ukrainians are going to have to fight this fight for themselves for where it's at now. Mm-hmm. The bigger things that come from this are obviously going to be, you know, how does that impact Americans? You know, I'm, I'm with Dale on this one. Is, you know, as we start to think about people that are in high school now, I mean, going to be in high school, like, that that is something that just seems so out of this world for me to look back and say we're going to go to war just to hold what we had in 1989 right the russians didn't show up at school in parachutes and it's not red dawn this isn't red dawn but to to the point dale brought up if they don't think and i'm talking you know right now it's vladimir putin i don't know who's going to follow him but let's go rational and irrational. Let's just assume that he's rational for a second, which he may not be. If he doesn't think that we have the stomach for war and the stomach to face him and the stomach to, to go toe-to-toe to him, he's just not going to stop. He's just going to keep going. And so that's where it comes down to at the local level, 
we just don't get afraid of what's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. And, and let me go off on a on a ninety degree side tangent here. So, for all my uh, barrel chested freedom fighters who want to check Putin and you know they're ready to go get their Remington twelve gauge shotgun and and drive across the border to to help our Ukrainian friends out. Let's say. <clears throat> At what point does does the amount of blood shed become an issue? Mm. Okay, so let me let's say this: fifty thousand U.S. people dying. That's a lot. It's that's, Vietnam. That's close to Vietnam. Yeah. Well, let's double that. Let's say, are you willing, as an American <clears throat> citizen, politician, government official? Are you willing to put a hundred thousand lives? That's a hundred thousand families who lost their son or daughter to save the Ukrainian people. Are you willing to sign off for that? Because here's what's happening at home. There's a hundred thousand people dying from drug overdose a year. Mm-hmm. And you don't hear any outrage from that people that are being polled in larger cities like chicago uh saying things like um you know i feel like we are fighting a war at home like in in our own city you know what i'm saying and so i think you're you're right on the mark man it's hard to compartmentalize those things but we're just hit with such like intense media cycles that it's just difficult not to get a, a rise um out of the the people that are yeah looking at their phones during times like this, especially in places like this where we're so far removed, and that's the only uh, point of context that we have. So, just to summarize, y'all, uh, what kind of um, what kind of takeaways do you want uh, the people listening to have as far as like how they conduct themselves um, as we're as this progresses? You know, I mean, my biggest one is is I want people to take away is the fact that this is the first time. Since Second World War, we've seen a threat this big mm-hmm. that's come from an individual's idea. One person did this. But it, that doesn't mean that that one person is going to dictate everything. And I want everybody that's listening to hear me very clearly that you can fight back on this one. Mm. And you don't need to pick up a gun to do it. Pick up your phone and get on and start following President Zelensky and start following things that are coming out of the Ukraine and just listen. Just give them a voice in this information war that they're going to come out of and see and make your own decisions out of that, Mm. right? You are giving power just by listening and watching and seeing what the other side is saying that you can fight against Putin just by watching. You don't have to do anything. The second part of it, and this is where I get into the hometown stuff, is gas prices are probably going to go up. Food's probably going to go up because fertilizer's coming out. Prices are probably going to go up. And, and, you know, this is the Local Legends podcast, so let's bring out a Local Legend. Three weeks ago, Chris Mock challenged me to go an entire week without spending a dollar. And it was hard. I didn't spend a single dollar that week. That guy's tight also, with the money. And he's he, tight with the money. He <laughs> money he's, Mock! He's Money Mock. But, money, but he was right. It's like he, he, was, he was challenging me to do something hard. Mm. Right, that I didn't think I could do just in the top, but I did it, and I didn't starve, and I didn't go bankrupt, and I and I figured out a way around it. 
that's what we're going to have to figure out in the next, you know, three months, six months, year mm. is, okay, sure. Things are getting a little bit harder. We're going to figure out a way around it. That's, and that's a good point, Chase. We get in the habit, especially in like, uh, just getting in the habit of never really having to tell ourselves no, even if it's like little things yeah. like spending a yeah. dollar. You know what I mean? Yep. If you can go one week without spending a dollar, yeah, I mean, it is harder to do than you think, but it's not impossible. Right. And at the end of the day, I looked at it and I said, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Mm. Right. And that's just a little minor test of what we can do. And especially start getting in the summer, I'm going to buy local stuff versus buying, you know, bigger, bigger right. things. I'm just going to, you know, do that. And I'm also going to grow a garden. You know why? Because I can eat out of that. Right. It's not that hard. And at the end of the day, we're going to be fine. Mm. Right. But I'm also going to make the little contributions I have. I hope that if in the bigger system, show people like Vladimir Putin that I don't give a shit what he thinks because I don't. Uh, to close it out. Yeah, buddy. Because we got, we've got some beer to drink here. So nothing's more important than your family. Mm. Okay. That, and this is what it comes down to. People, people are anxious and people are upset because they fear the unknown. You can take that away if you understand that you will protect your family at all costs. And that's what you need to understand as a leader in your household. Okay, so what do we do? This is not Russia, Ukraine specific. This is disaster specific. Mm. Okay, so you need to have a plan for, you need to have as not, uh, if, if a tornado came, and knocked everything out for seven days, what would you do? Right. If your answer is, I don't know, that's an issue. Okay? So basic things. <clears throat> you need to have enough cash on hand that you're not pull up pull up the feed of guys and girls waiting in lines in Ukraine to pull money out of ATM. Yep. You need to have five hundred thousand, two thousand dollars in cash on hand, whatever it is for your family. Okay, that's number one. Number two, gas prices are going to go up. It's not going to be temp- it's not going to be permanent, but like right now, never let your vehicle get below half on your gas tank. The reason is, if you need to travel for a sustained period of time, I'd rather travel on a half tank of gas versus E. Right. And then what happens if I can't get gas? And by the way, gas is controlled by the internet. Mm. If the internet goes down, how's the gas station getting you your gas? So, the, But this is not, like I said, this is not Russia, Ukraine. This is things that you should be living on on a daily basis as far as preparation and survivability is concerned. So uh, gas is probably going to go north of $4 for a sustained period of time. So depending on what time we air this, Fill up your gas. Fill up your gas tank right now. Do it on Sundays, by the way, before the market opens on Monday. <laughs> Call that a bonus, we, dude. We that's should. A, that's a pro tip. First of all, like this should be a subscription. Yeah, that, that's a subscription bonus that we put on there. Um, so, cash on hand, gas, and like if you you probably have two vehicles in your house, that means both vehicles need to be gassed up. Okay. Uh, if you have a generator, get one. It's just a good thing. It's a good thing to have. Make sure you have enough water on hand. 
Now, and I would say probably the, the most important one is if we can't communicate, which I am the worst. I'm the most obnoxious asshole when it comes to looking at my phone. What happens when my soul service and Wi-Fi goes down? Everybody answer that question right now. If your Wi-Fi in your cell phone service goes down. You have a pre-established location to meet the friends and family that you love. And I'm just going to enjoy the fact no one's texting me. <laughs> okay. So what's the pace plan? Primary? Primary, alternate, contingency, emergency. Okay. So if uh, you know both of my parents still live in town, or well, my in-laws and my parents still live in town, we we have an understanding that if everything goes if a tornado comes everything wipes out you guys will come to my house mm. within 24 hours if i don't if you're not at my house we will come get you and that's it so it doesn't need to be some extravagant bunker plan just ask yourself in your family right now is if your cell phone wi-fi communication goes down mm. How will you get in touch with your immediate loved ones? And if you don't have an answer to that, this is the best thing this podcast could have done for you mm. right now. Regardless of Putin and his insanity and, and everything. Sure. And it, you know the other thing is? There's nowhere else in America if the worst shit happens in the world... That I would rather be than Portsmouth, Ohio. Right. I think we saw like a glimmer of that in the pandemic too, for sure. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Chase hit it. You know, uh, we will barter, we will trade, we will do whatever. Like we are, we are West Side to Willardsburg to South Shore to Piketon. Like I'm. That's where yeah. my money's We're going. We're Spartan. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Like your your net worth is your network, and we are some hard people some loving people in this area that good luck good fucking luck coming try and take us so don't be distracted i i let's try to close this out sorry <laughs> get me all fired I'm now, up i'm now like man. seven beers in <laughs> try to close this out in closing if you live here you need to understand be careful of how much you're absorbed in your phone, depending on your age. Also, my friends, if you're for every hour of Fox you watch, watch an hour of CNN. Mm. Just just to balance it out and understand, first reports are always wrong. More importantly, understand we're not gonna go to war over some dumb shit. Facts. Just. Be, be that doesn't absolve you from being aware of current events. Just don't let it overcome you hmm. and have faith and take, you know, take immense satisfaction in where you are and how you were raised. We're a different kind of people. And uh, if something bad happens, this is where I want to be. Mm. Can I add one piece on that? I would love it. Because I'm, I'm a transplant here, but I learned it from being here. You're loads Thanks, brother. Just be nice to people, and, and they'll take care of you.
be nice to other people. We'll be all right. Yeah, and I think uh, what y'all shared is a, is a great contrast to uh, just the clickbait that we're going to receive over the next couple of weeks and months and however long this lasts, you know. So, um, you know, if we can focus on those important things, having plans in place to take care of our loved ones, I think uh, I think we'll come out on top and just be grateful for the place that we do live, you know. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen, for uh, taking the time to uh, come to speak to the audience. We enjoyed it. Happy Friday, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Oh, a little more in cheese right there. <laughs>